This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning, Asha. How are you? Hi, Angel. How are you? I'm so good. I'm glad this meeting finally is happening. I am so pumped. I'm glad the technology came through. I'm glad (laughs) that everything got worked out. But I am, I've been looking forward to this for weeks. I'm so excited. I just adore you and I'm so happy to be together. I adore you too. And like our dear friend, Laura, our producer just said, What you're doing is fucking phenomenal. I will use her words. Yes, I will, because it's absolutely true. And what's interesting is that it's like I've known you in such like in a more intimate way. And so sometimes I forget like how much you actually fucking do. And so as I was doing my research, like truly, truly, I was like, how does she do it? How does she do it all? You you really are doing an incredible job and we're going to get into it, what you actually do, but like just to have the mindset and drive people, if you need inspiration and motivation, Asha is like an untapped source of never ending. Love and you. so we need to discover where you get that from. That's the goal of this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I love, I love you. you too. I love you. It's it's having support and friends like you, honestly. I, this is such a, I thank you for those kind words. This is really, I've been so looking forward to this. This is so, it feels really full circle. It you is. have been such a part of my journey and I'm just so grateful for you. You are such a magnetic human and I truly attribute so much of my evolution to you. When I started my rebellious <clears throat> reinvention, you were my first call. So thank this you. feels so full circle and it is a lot of it because of amazing friends. Like thank you. you. Yeah. I was looking at your website and I was like, wow, you implemented all the things that we talked about on the deep dive. Like you did it. You went for it. And there's so much more oh, coming. I'm so sure. Much more. I can't wait to see it all unfold. <laughs> so let's rewind a little bit and tell everybody who you are. Yeah. You are a holistic health coach. You are you have a health and wellness website. You help harmonize and prioritize your health holistically. You're the founder and CEO of Health in the Hood, a keynote TEDx speaker in sustainability and wellness. And you go by the Fit Farmer, founder of Health in the Hood. It's a 501c3, which programs include urban farming, health education, and food distribution. You have eight urban farms in South Florida, and we will get into exactly what that means and growing. You have a personal wellness following who looks to you for inspiration with fitness, meditation, and matcha mornings, my favorite. <laughs> but let's get real. Have you ever been fired for a job or en- from a job or anything, Asha? What is the deal? How? Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Totally been fired from a job. I feel like that's how you get to where you are. You don't grow unless you've experienced things like that. So 
Um, yes, I've definitely been fired. And looking back on it, I am now super grateful for it, for the experience, for what you learn from it. Um, I was fired from a job that I loved. I loved working. I worked for an AmeriCorps program. It was housed at a not-for-profit here in South Florida. And I made the decision to follow a boy. <sighs> Never follow a boy. And, you know, mapped out my path to move to where he was and didn't keep my employer super informed. And it just, it, it didn't, it unraveled. Mm -hmm. And it was really sad. And I made poor choices. And it was really a testament to where I was in my life and a lot of the healing that I had not done yet. And so when I look back, I'm grateful for it because I wouldn't have started Health in the Hood. I wouldn't have um, even known to evolve. So these things happen and they happen for a reason. So Yes, definitely been fired and definitely now grateful for the experience. And now actually so close and work with my former boss wow. who fired full me. Circle. So, full circle. That's totally awesome. Full circle. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I always say that entrepreneurship is your personal development machine. But I mean, career really yeah. is in general, right? It's like yeah. we have our sights set on certain things, but there's things that are happening in our personal and emotional lives that we just yeah. can't ignore. And until those things are healed, oftentimes we trip and stumble over them until the lesson is learned and unrooted. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the patterns will still show up, but the beauty is that we get to grow and learn from them and they pivot us in the direction. Like that's the whole point of this podcast is to remove the shame and stigma of pivoting and failing and, mm -hmm. um, just obstacles that you trip over. So it's a, and I just love you for that. You. I love you for shining a light on that and for helping so many women and men. I'm sure you have male clients too, but I, I am one of your biggest female client fans. And you. you just, you just help us peel back those mm -hmm. layers and, and, and make it normalized mm -hmm. that it's okay to change. It's okay to rebel. It's okay to have a reinvention. So thank you. For thank all you. That. So sweet. Um, Let's talk about your rebelliousness. The more I really was digging into health in the hood and listening to some press that you've already done, the more I realized that what you do is inherently rebellious. Like you were bucking mm. so many systems. <laughs> you are bucking yeah. against corporate greed, FDA, health uh, education, really big pharma. <laughs> like all of it, you're yeah. taking on it all. Yeah. And that was yeah. surprisingly shocking because what, you know, the perception is like, oh, Asha builds gardens in diverse communities, but it's so much deeper than that. I wanted to read yeah. a quote that I saw on your website because I think this really hits home to tell people. And then we could get into like what it is that you actually do. Yeah. So this is a quote from your site. Today, your zip code can affect your health more than your genetic code. The disparity stems from a broken food system that keeps over 23 million Americans disconnected from healthy food options because they live in food deserts. If you are food insecure, you lack access to nutritious, fresh, and your health food and your health and well-being subsequently suffer. Food is the greatest equalizer and health in the hood is food justice. That is such a powerful statement. Health in the hood is food justice. That is rebellious. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. tell us what health in the hood does and what a food desert is. Tell the people. I want them to know. So I love thinking, I, it's so wild. Like this is, I've never thought of us, of course we're rebellious, but I've never 
use that terminology in our in any of our language. So thank you for for really helping me see it in that way. We are. We are definitely rebelling and bucking the system. And we do that through love and urban farming. So and uh and through vegetables. So it's a it's a disruptive but love and peace-filled way to change the system. So Health in the Hood is a 501c3. We are going into 2023 will be our 10th year. We have some huge plans for our 10th year. Um, But essentially we are um, creating equitable um, local foods ecosystems. And our mission is equal food access for all. And we do that through urban farming and wellness programs. So we go into food desert neighborhoods, which are neighborhoods that are essentially cut off from fresh food options. So they've got grocery stores, but they're really more like bodegas. They're glorified gas stations, lots of shelf-stable preservatives, lots of Chef Boyardee, no kale for at least a mile. Um, And if you don't have a car, if you are working more than Mm -hmm. one job, if you have other priorities, leaving your neighborhood to go buy a $6 box of spinach just is not in your trajectory. And so that leads to a whole other host of knowledge and, um, and life trajectory issues and preventable diseases that we see just are plaguing these communities. Uh, and it's all stems from the foods that we eat. And so we thought it would be a much better use of space and land and time and people's energy and empowering to convert vacant lots into vegetable gardens. And so that is the model that we rolled out almost 10 years ago. We hire residents from the neighborhood. So every community we are totally tapped into from our community partners to residents, to families, to kids, um, so that we're training folks on how to grow food, how to harvest it. We're training kids, we're teaching kids, we're providing new educational opportunities around nutrition and fitness um, so that we're really creating comprehensively healthy communities. Um, and we were doing that for eight years, COVID hit, and then we were already in the food insecurity space and mm. we're like, okay, we've got to respond. So we mobilized and launched a large scale food distribution model that we're still operating today. So we've got um, a drive through pantry and we work with two local food banks and we serve about 500 families every week through a drive through pantry. Wow. We have amazing corporate partners and community partners and volunteers that support all of our efforts. Um, but it is definitely a way to buck the system for us. We just think the future of food is local and that getting back to our roots literally is is the answer. And it's it's this really simple solution to a big problem. So did you do you see this going being a model though that can replicate in other states and other areas of Florida as well? Yeah, um, and that's our plan. So we are rolling out, um, we're fundraising right now for three cities in the next five years. We're looking to raise $5 million over the next couple of years for three cities to roll out in. We're starting in Chicago, working with the Obama Foundation. So super wow, excited congratulations. about that. Thank you. Um, but really, it's um, it's a model. I used to work for an AmeriCorps program, one of my absolute favorite jobs, and it was a national model. I ran an open Miami branch. And so for, for me, when you are able to find a solution to a problem and you can replicate it, why wouldn't mm-hmm. you? And so for the last few years, we've really been honing in on our infrastructure and our handbooks and how do we give this to another community, set it up and hire staff. And so we are, we are in the beta test mode of rolling that out actually like That's right now. So, so exciting. Congratulations. And for f- thanks, got to raise a little more money, but then, but honestly, it. $5 million is, it's going to come in no time. It's going to be so easy. $5 yeah. million is nothing. Yeah. It's nothing to roll yeah. out. I mean, 5 million is tight. Exactly. <laughs> tight for you, what can, we really you can, you can raise so. more. Trust me. Um, yeah. thanks. And you know, I do know, <laughs> trust me, like Gabe, I, 
my fiance Gabe is works in the restaurant industry. Obviously, you know this. Mm-hmm. And there's billionaires and investors who are just waiting to get their hands on the next thing. So it's just mm-hmm. just a matter of them knowing. Well, we're really lucky. We're lucky. We've got a really incredible network of incredible donors mm-hmm. and corporate sponsors. And so it's really kind of tapping like, what's the strategic plan? Mm-hmm. How do you leverage what everybody's mutual benefit yeah. is? And so it's it's a, a little bit of strategy and a, a lot of love and a lot of planning, but yeah, we we've got an incredible network. We are always looking to grow. So yeah, billionaires come our way. <laughs> we need all the help we can get. So tell me how did how did Health in the Hood begin? I know that the the structure of renting land unused plots of land came from your father originally, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so why was he doing that? How did he get into that? And how did he pass that information down to you? Um, so my dad, I, I call him the OG. He is uh, the original gardener. He is, and he's also an original gangster. Like he's just that mm-hmm. guy. Um, but he's a very esteemed historian of black history and a community activist in Miami for many, many decades. Um, and so one of our sort of community side projects as a family was to maintain urban farms in Overtown. So like I did my bat mitzvah community service project in an urban farm. And I just always knew that you could get funds from the city, apply for grants, and you can you could maintain land, you could have residents help to maintain it. Um, and so we really amplified on his model. It was just always something that I knew you could do. Um, and I always say I kind of grew up in like a Jane Fonda house. So health and wellness was always part of my, my DNA. And so it was really just kind of combining all these pieces of me and my experience, um, to bloom health in the hood. And it really felt very organic. Um, I think before I even knew about source work and your angels and your Mm -hmm. guides, I was always guided. And so it was really not a question. I just really felt like it was, um, it was the right time. I think the name came to me in the shower, like, gotta write this down. And uh, I wrote like our first three manifestos or grants and uh, worked with an amazing fiscal sponsor because we were not 501c3 when we first started. Um, Put the work in, literally dug our roots, had my hands in the soil for many years. Um, But that was the the origins of it. It was um, just knowing that it was a problem that I knew how to solve and I knew I had the... um, the beginnings of the expertise between community engagement, grant writing. You went to college for grant writing, right? I went to college for oh, theater. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Like, so off the, off the grid. Like, but it actually serves me really, really well. So from TED Talks mm-hmm. to even stuff like yeah. this, and I did a CBS This Morning piece. I like, mean, you're always pitching. You're always presenting. You have to be able to step into that role. Always. That's amazing. Always. Always changing hats. Did tell me about like if somebody starts wants to start a nonprofit, what how difficult is it? Because I even heard you say like you have to prove your concept before you can even be designated a 501c3. So, what do those steps look like, and what were the hurdles that you had to achieve to get there? So, when you have an idea and like you just are guided and you know it's gonna hit, the hurdles are just like they're, they're surmountable. Like you just know, you, you know, you're going to get to the other side of them. So that was kind of my mindset going into it. Like I knew it wasn't going to be easy peasy. I knew there was going to be a lot of proving to do. Um, but taking that mindset, I think is one of the first steps in, in taking on something like this. And then it's organization. So, you know, combing through the research and combing through and a lot of Googling, how do you start a not-for-profit? 
what's the best way to get your 501c3? So for me, I had a lot of not-for-profit experience, but I had never started my own. So um, started writing the grants. I had maintained grants for other not for like other missions. So it was kind of easy to know the structure of what grant writing, what they would ask about. But then having to figure out telling your own story when you hadn't done it yet was like, okay, this is what I want to get money for, but I haven't done it yet. So it was kind of like a balance in the beginning. We wrote strong. I wrote strong grants um, and had kind of built trust in the community from sort of working in, in Miami for the last 10 years in the not-for-profit sector. So got the buy-in of a lot of community partners. So that really helps. So having partners that are, that would, you can, or that you already are going to say, yes, the YWCA of Overtown, Ash is going to come in and teach classes and grow a garden. Having that commitment is a huge piece of it. So forging those relationships before you go in is really important. And then um, just, just chipping away at it. Right. So like, I don't know how to, I want to make sure that I apply to the IRS correctly the first time. I don't want to be going back and forth on my 501c3 application. It's actually called something else. It's, gosh, I can't remember, a 1080S, something like that when you're doing the actual application part of it. So I looked up different companies that help you with that. So I knew my narrative. I had, I call it my like Jerry Maguire manifesto. Like I wrote down everything I wanted it to be like, you know, from technology to the impact to what I saw and how I saw it really visualizing it playing out. Um, and then use that to sort of populate these three grant applications I went after, pulled in these community partners. Um, and then at the same time was looking at the process of how to start a 501c3, how to actually get certified. But when you're in that liminal phase, you also, you can look for a fiscal agent. So that was a big piece for me was, um, having those community partner relationships. So I could call up, um, who did we use? The neighborhood housing services was a not-for-profit that I had worked with for many years. And they acted as our fiscal agent originally. And then after about eight months, we had our 501c3. No longer had to use a fiscal agent. And it was really off to the races. And we've been building and growing ever since then. And then, like, there's a whole other set of hurdles. Then as soon as you, what does Lauren say? New levels, new levels. Exactly. Let's talk about that. What does that mean to have the mindset to know that there's going to be a consistent state of fires and devils and monsters and hurdles and small hiccups and big ones along the way. Like, I feel like, you know, you can apply this to entrepreneurship, to your career, to your relationship, to running Mm -hmm. a nonprofit, non for, not for profit. Um, any goal you desire, you're going to run in to a set of hurdles and it's not just going to be once or twice. It's going to be never ending. And so but I think when it comes to career, when it comes to business, when it comes to, or relationship, I think that people get really stuck. Like as soon as they start experiencing these hurdles, they make it mean something about them. Right. Like yeah. even just the yeah. Wi-Fi today, I couldn't get the Wi-Fi to work for like an <laughs> hour. Like I've been working on this like since an hour before start time. And it's like, I, I watch my thoughts and I'm mindful. And like every time yeah. I d- I'm about to record a batch of podcasts, like it's something. It's like, I got a cold last night. My daughter got a cold. There's a Wi-Fi issue. And like, it's almost like everything culminates to like this moment and honestly, like we probably create it because we're stressed and we're in anticipation. So that energy draws it in. Nevertheless, it doesn't really matter when these problems hit, they're always going to hit. And I can see my thoughts making it mean something about me. Like, why is this happening to me? What did I do to create this? What did I do to deserve this? Maybe I'm not supposed to do this. 
these are all things that are not true, right? Like maybe I'm not supposed to do this. This is my purpose to have these conversations, to empower people and to inspire people. I can come back to my mission again and again and recognize that podcasting is definitely one of the avenues that will help me achieve that goal for right now, today. I know that yet I will sit there and question it. So what does it take for you? What is your theory or process and just your perspective on what dedication means and, and consistency means and showing up to those problems? Like, what does that look like to you? How do you describe that? So I feel like it's having a toolkit because it's so, we are just like stretched thin. Everybody is. And when it's your baby, when it's your, when when you're an entrepreneur, it's all yours. There's no off switch. There's no downtime. Um, So you have to create it. You have to create the space. You have to have tools to do that. And then in your toolkit, when one of these moments arises, when one of these problematic moments arise, when those intrusive thoughts, when that, um, you've read the untethered soul and they talk about the voice in your head that just, you just doesn't shut up. Like mine never shuts up, but I can open my toolkit and I know that I've got things that I can apply to, to cool her down, to put her in the corner and to be able to come back to, is this really what's happening? Right? Like, is I had the same technology issues this morning too. And it's just like, am I going to unravel or am I going to take a deep breath and think about where I really am and pull one of the tools from my kit, whether it's thinking about that segment of a book that really spoke to me that I can tap into. Wait, that is not my soul voice. That is my head voice. And she is not always right. Sometimes she is, but let me come back to a centered place. So having those tools, which again, like I just love you so much because so many of the tools in my kit are from are from your connections, from Brad hypnotherapy to Lauren with Reiki healing that just changed my life. So, you know, and having so just those connections, meeting you in a Pilates class to now. Oh my god! Later, by the way, I just, fell in love with Pilates this year. Like I did Pilates I know, before. I saw that, and I was like, "You already no, did. but I okay. did it before, but I hated year. it, and now I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. Like I wasn't really good at it, and it was really hard for me. Like I didn't have that core strength yeah. after I had my daughter. I really kind of like let that go because yeah. I didn't practice yoga a lot after I had her. Yeah, and I would go to the gym yeah. and do like berries, but like if you're not really dedicated to that internal core work. So different. So different. So I'd go to these Pilates classes once or twice a week. And then like for a few weeks, I wouldn't go. I'd be so sore and I'd go, I'd avoid it. So I wasn't really in love with the discipline and the practice of it, but this is full circle back to like our conversation because I made it mean something about me. I made it mean something about like, it's not for me. I just can't, I just can't do it. It's not for my body type. And Granted, there was instructors that could be better and studios that could be better. There was definitely, there's external factors. But when I really found an instructor, I was like, okay, this shit is hard no matter what. These people, I'm looking at women in the room that are 50 plus years old. They are in the best shape. They are committed to this shit. I am 38 years old. And if I don't get committed when I am 50 plus years old, I will not look like them or feel like them. And I would like to. 
and yeah. <laughs> they're in better shape than me. And, and we want longevity. We want long health spans. We want to be functional. Like our whole Yes, life. I like, get like, major back pain. Be- like the only time I'm not getting incredible back pain is, is when I'm doing Pilates consistently or yoga. And I'm not in love with the practice of yoga. I haven't been in years. So I was like, I just dedicated myself. I like just really put myself in this space that was like, this is hard. I'm going to feel like I'm failing all the time, but I'm going to get better and it's not going to look pretty. And now I'm absolutely in love with Pilates and it's, <laughs> it's really helped with my mindset overall with everything, because that's the exact stance yeah. I have to take now is I'm not going to be good at it yet. It's not going to look pretty. It's going to look messy, but I'm absolutely in love with the process of growth and learning. I'm a forever student and I will show up and be dedicated to this journey. So inspiring. And so, so it's inspiring. really like been full circle. Like it's funny. That's how we met in Pilates. Yeah. 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 But I'm, so when you were like, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm loving Pilates. I was like, girl, you've always been a badass on that reformer. So I would do it. I would just do it so begrudgingly. <laughs> the shit is hard. So hard. It is fucking But hard. now I love it. But it's a mindset, but yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's such a challenge. And it's like, if you can do, you can start the day and you can get that out of the way. It's like, well, what else, what, what can I do at that point? Yeah. So I'm so happy that you're loving it and that you're back in the saddle. And honestly, I, you are a superhero, like keeping a tiny human alive all day long. Thank you. And running your incredible businesses and maintaining that. your home, all of it. <laughs> it's, that's like, it's just no fucking it's joke. It's no joke. You know? I wanted to talk about yeah, children because- just two days ago, you were doing something on Instagram and somebody said, and I know the person, <laughs> somebody said to you, motherhood would look great on you. And first of all, what the fuck? I think that is like <laughs> one of the most condescending. Well, first of all, coming from a man, it's creepy. It feels like really sleazy joke. But when you know who it is, when you know, you I know do him, know him. Like, yeah. So uh, it's, it's more it's like him. it's him, but it's, but, yeah. but it's, sh- so it's not sleazy. For me, no, but, yeah. but it, it yeah. can, can come off as sleazy. It can come off as it's condescending yeah. when it comes from a woman, sure. especially another mother. Yeah. It can come off yeah. as a lot of pressure. It's just like, yeah. it's just inappropriate sometimes, especially when yeah. I don't know, it's just inappropriate these days. Right. So like, I want to talk yeah. about your yeah. empowered choice. Like you have made an empowered choice to not have children. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? How did you make that decision? And, uh, like, how did you have that conversation with your partner? Like, how did you guys come to this conclusion? And both of you were on the same page. Cause I think it's really respectable. I honor it so much. I'm a one and done. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, she's absolutely perfect. You made a perfect angel human baby and she is i am so obsessed with her so i totally get one and done she's literally i just and only child i also girl. don't like, think i yeah. could have handled any more i mean i was almost a no children kind yeah of person. i don't know how you do it i don't know how you do it i don't know how moms are super parents are superheroes moms of course specifically um but i i've never had the bug i have never when i was little and i i've never had the 
I want to be in a white dress and get married, like having my wedding. We did it. We did a surprise wedding. Like even that couldn't be conventional. I was like, I don't want place cards. I don't want gifts. I just want to have a party with the man I love. And then you surprised so, your guests. You were like, surprise, we're getting married. What yeah. did you tell them you, they were yeah. coming to? We told them they were coming to a double birthday party. So we got married on my birthday and we had canceled his 50th birthday party because there was a storm. So we were like, we're redoing his birthday party. Everybody come down. We're having a big double birthday party blowout. And then when they got there, we were like, surprise, we're getting married. But um, it's just really never been my thing. I, I have a pretty unconventional family background. I'm an only child. Um, I didn't really see, I didn't have siblings that I grew up with. So I didn't see like the magic of a baby coming into the house. So I guess that probably could have played a role in it. But it was a very, it wasn't a choice. I never wanted it. Um, and never felt like, oh, should I, would I, I've never had that tearing, um, sensation, but I love children. I love working with kids. I love other people's kids. I think children are the future. I am, you know, obsessed yeah. with, with my friend's kids, but I just know very confidently that I, my baby is what I gift to mm -hmm. the world in my experiences, my businesses, my, my service, yeah. what I'm building now, it's, it, that really feels like my baby and it's extremely fulfilling. And I, I don't feel the, like that I need a child to fulfill something in me. I just, I just, I've never felt that. So there wasn't like this big decision. My mother wasn't happy about it. It took her a long time to come around and really understand that this is not what I want. And I'm not, I can't have a grandchild for you. Um, so that took a little bit of, 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 convincing understanding, but she's there now. And then I, I kind of lucked out. My partner is about 17 years older than me. He has two beautiful, incredible daughters who were 15 and 16 when I met them. They're now incredible young women. And so he was good. He was tapped out awesome. and, um, it was not my path. So it worked out really beautifully the way it was. Supposed Congratulations. To. Cause I think that's, Thanks. I really do think it's a, something that women struggle with is, you know, it's contextual, like the feeling and the pressure of having children by a certain age in a family, like it's societal, it's parental, it's religious. There's so much conditioning and pressure externally. And I, I think there, for me, there was something hormonally where I was like, Oh, if, if Gabe and I got pregnant, I would have the child. Like it, we were, I, I think I said that once or twice, and so I felt like I was at an age and in a responsibility level that in my life I could take care of a child and then that, and that he would be a good father no matter where we were at in our relationship. So it was kind of just like from this point forward, if we have to get pregnant, like we'll move forward with that. But we didn't try <clears throat> because before that. That's so beautiful. Thank you. But before that, I was like, I'm good. I don't want children. Like, <laughs> I don't feel responsible yeah. enough for yeah. that, nor do yeah. I just like care. Like it just didn't care. It wasn't a burning yeah. desire. Yeah. So I really yeah. respect, yeah. um, because at some point you, even though it wasn't a choice, like for you, it was a knowing, it sounds like a deep knowing. I think you still have to make that like boundary externally to people in your life. And it disappoints people. So for anybody out there, like you can make that choice, whatever it is. Absolutely. Start an offer profit. It'll take up all, all your, your fucking, fucking time. time. So you have time to have a kid. <laughs> That's the exactly. answer. Just solve a problem in the world because you won't have time for children. And you feel like all the kids you work with are yours. And I've considered, you know, 
it's, you know, I feel like I'm going to be like Jane Fonda when I'm 70. I'm still going to be really active. If I wanted to adopt at that point in my life, later in life, I'm keeping that option open, but I'm not, I'm not committed. And, and, uh, and it just, I'm, I'm ready to flow, but where I am right now, it's, uh, my baby, my babies are, are in the health, wellness and sustainability space. I love that. And I think you're living a purpose driven life and that is your connection to your soul and you're following your hearts and your soul's intuition and guidance. So you're going to, you're going to affect so many people's lives, children included. From your mouth to God's ears. He's hearing me. Um, let's talk about what kind of programs I really want to know about, like what kind of programs do you work with the kids on in, in education, right? Like you're, they're in there, they're helping grow. Like people are getting to, I know that you like personally will go and knock on people's doors and really get the community involved and ask what they want to grow and what kind of recipes they like. Right. So what does the continued education look like around health, fitness, wellness, and what is the disparity conversation like? Because, you know, for me and you, we can talk about going in to a Pilates class. It's like $30 a session for them. It looks Mm -hmm. a lot different. So what does that conversation look like? Yeah. So, um, our wellness programs are one of my favorite pieces of what we do. The farms are beautiful. Our food distribution is impactful, but I feel like where we are really changing mindsets and attitudes is where we is in our education program. So um, it started off just um, nutrition and fitness. So I would literally schlep with me like at a full on exercise obstacle course and set it up at YWCAs and we would do real versus processed food chest sessions. And we would um, do food towers out of healthy snacks. So every healthy food you can identify on the table, you can build a piece of your tower with it. So just really fun, interactive stuff like that that we did for the first probably five or six years. Um, and then we started to build out a virtual platform. And so we've been working on that for a couple of years. COVID hit and we really kind of amplified that. That's part of our um, fundraising efforts as we continue to grow. We really want to amplify our virtual programs. And, and are those um, for at teens, launching. youth, adults? For everyone. So we've got kids meditation. Oh, we have cool. a fun video we shot with a bunch of kids where we are talking about the chemicals and preservatives in food. So looking at the back of a Lucky Charms box and talking about the trisodium phosphate and then taking out a can of paint thinner because that is also trisodium phosphate. So really making those connections in visceral ways um, with kids that look like the kids and the communities that we're working in. So that's really important. Um but that takes a lot of time, effort, energy. We're trying to run the whole lot for profit and then also shoot content. So it's, it's slowly, that's been a slower part of our process, but, um, on the ground, it looks like typically like monthly workshops, whether it's yoga or a fitness class with a volunteer instructor, we'll use one of our sites and have families come. Um, and then going back to, I love that last part of your question. Like what is the barrier the digital divide, digital literacy is a huge part of it. So like we can go on Instagram and say, hey, free yoga class at the Opalaka Garden on Thursday. It's not going to hit the families that we really want to be there. So that's why our community partnerships are so huge. and such a big part of how we're able to reach our communities. Um, and so it's a completely different kind of channel and network that we will blast out to when we're doing some of our uh, wellness programming. Um, but the ultimate goal and that what we're fundraising for is the Health in the Hood app. So coming soon, yes. hopefully 2024, 25, um, fundraising permitting, we are launching our app. And that's really going to be how we keep all of our communities connected 
um, start to really bridge that digital, digital divide. There's so many resources and companies that we're working with, whether it's Amazon through EBT and food benefit uh, signups that people, we've built the trust in the communities. We can get the, help with that digital divide piece and then connect people to these incredible resources that will amplify their ability to be well. Um, so I really see that as our, as our next big, we keep talking about Health in the Hood 2.0. We have all these new programs that we're rolling out, our Garden to Grocer program, where we're going to be um, training even more residents how to harvest the produce and then sell it to local, get, donate it to local bodegas for them to sell and then cut a proceed back to Health in the Hood. So we're really creating these local food ecosystems and making ourselves obsolete. So lots of like 2.0 Health in the Hood stuff coming up, including our wellness programs. So, so it's really exciting. And I feel exciting. Like good piece. How do how do local people get involved? What's the best way to volunteer? So lots of ways, lots of ways. Uh, our drive-through pantry is every Tuesday and every Thursday. We always need hands out there. We have incredibly dedicated volunteers that we literally will come out every Tuesday and Thursday. It's somewhat backbreaking work. I mean, it's lifting, you know, fifty-pound boxes of cucumbers and beautiful produce, and then we develop. We, we then create these uh, beautiful grocery bags and carry them and put them into people's trunks. So. Definitely, it's a labor of love, um, but that is sort of, sort of our top volunteer opportunity that people can come out any Tuesday, any Thursday to do. And then throughout the year, we have about 30 volunteer events. I would say about almost every other weekend we're in the garden. Um, and so that that's um, another opportunity. Those are, take a little bit more planning, and they're not kind of like open to the public because you have to make sure we have enough supplies and staff to be there to manage. But those happen a couple times, um, a couple times a month, uh, and then telling our story. So opportunities like this, so sharing our story. We're going to be in Ocean Drive for November's philanthropy issue. Congrats. So things like that are really huge for us. Thanks, so excited mm-hmm. there, um, and uh, and then donations. So that's a huge piece yeah. of how we are able to keep funding and keep moving and growing. Right now, we are looking at um, bringing on additional staff, more executive staff, and that's really how we are able to go to this next chapter, get into new communities. So on every level, whether you're coming, putting your hands on the soil or writing a check, we need all. How many staff right now do you have? 17. It's incredible what you're doing with 17 people. It's wild. It's wild. And did, and did like the seven, only two full-time. And only two full-time. Okay. And that's what I was going to ask of the 17, are those partially the people that you hire to work in the gardens? Yeah, it's about half and half. So, so our structure is, yeah, so I'm founder CEO. We have our COO, who is my right hand woman. She is Ms. Rockwell Shockoff. She is just one of the most incredible, efficient, top to bottom, does not miss anything, compliance followers. So she's our she's our amazing COO. Uh, and then we have a garden director, and then we have a site manager, and then garden managers at each of our sites. Some garden managers maintain more than one site. Um, and then we have a lot of one-off employees that, that pop in and out and got big jobs to do, but that's sort of our, uh, oh, and then a program manager as well. That's amazing. I asked that because it doesn't take, you know, look at all the impact that you're making and you've grown so much over 10 years, but to make this much impact with hundreds and thousands of families, you're doing it with a core group of 17 people or less over these past 10 years. And I think, it's just really a testament to your dedication to following your heart and your passion and also a reflection and encouragement for people out there that I think we have this illusion that when we have staff or we grow our business, it's going to look like hiring more people and having more help. 
But at the end of the day, you know, nobody's really going to have the vision and have hold the line like you do just a few core people, right? Like your CEO is the other one that's towing the line. And I know you still have your hands in all the grant writing. I know you still have your face forward facing to not just opportunities like this and press and podcasting and your Instagram, but also, you know, pitching, raising money, also showing up at the garden events, you know? So it's like, the money. I need to take a nap. Yes. Take a nap. <laughs> Go ahead. Take a little nap. I'll bring Lauren over to get, do a little sound bowl on you. That's what you need. I know, I have, tomorrow. Nice. Tomorrow's Lauren nice. Day. Yeah, but it's yeah. like. Thank you so much for. Yeah, yeah it's a reflection for a you and it's a lot, but it's also just a reminder to people like after 10 years, you don't just arrive somewhere. Like you did a, you did a TEDx talk. Like you've been on the the morning shows, like you've done all these amazing things and yet there's still work to do. So just a reminder to you people out there thinking there's some plateau around the corner where it just all gets easier. It just gets fuller. It just gets more beautiful. There's more sights to see and more mountains to climb. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I I need, I needed that reminder today. I definitely needed that today. It's true. It's there's never. I was thinking you're never done. Like I'm, you're you're never done. When it's yours, you're never done. So it's like having the tools to be able to maintain it and not burn out after all these years is like, it's definitely one of the tools that needs to be in your kit if you are looking to start a not for profit, follow a passion. You definitely got to have that in your back pocket. Yeah, and having boundaries, knowing when when it's time to take a rest, when it's time to meditate. (laughs) Like what boundaries? Come on. I know you go on date nights. You meditate. You work out. We we are getting better now. We're definitely getting better. Yes. Yes. No, for sure. For sure. But it's like, I just, I'm so so like, I wish though, like I could be done when I'm doing those things and not have, I'm seeing, I'm seeing Brad this week. I'm like, we got to work on racing thoughts because this is ridiculous. My to-do list just, it's, it's written down too in like 75 places, but it's still, so it's work. It's definitely mm-hmm. work to like quiet, mm-hmm. quiet the mind. Yeah. I know it's a lot. Yeah, you know. Oh, you I know. know. You know. I was up, but you you have connected me to so much, so many of those tools. Oh, honestly, thank you. Yeah. yeah, and I hope I get to just continue to connect these the listeners to all these people because this is who I'm interviewing. Yeah. Are all you beautiful yeah. people? Yeah, I loved Brad's. Oh, one. so good. Brad's interview. So good. He is the man. He really is, he the, is man. the man like hypnotherapy who knew <laughs> who knew it was so amazing i go twice a month now yeah. i have a month i have Do a monthly you? membership where i go twice a month yeah it's changed my life i still have three left in my pocket changed my life I, so, changed my life lauren changed my life you changed my life brad's changed my amazing. life amazing no question no question you hear that people that's the recipe um <laughs> so i've been going to brad since january I, I went to him before for two or three packs i think two packs separately the year before and then this year i've been going to his, him since january two times a month and it's like it's been probably two or three weeks and i'm really feeling it now because i just feel a little burnout a little frazzled i traveled for 10 days like all the things but it's wild like I know I need it right now consciously, but sometimes we will have to postpone a session by a week or so. And I'll yeah. kind of be like, it's and fine. Yeah, it. but I'll be like, it's fine. Like when I'm postponing it, yeah. everything's fine. It's yeah. all good. 
everything's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And then like three days before, like just shit hits the fan and I get in there and it is like, it's like, he's like jump starting my whole life again. My nervous system. It's incredible. Yeah. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. It's I'll look up and I'll be like, Oh, I didn't just do that OCD thing that like I have done for 38 years. Cause Brad unplugged it, knocked it out of my brain, unplugged Mm -hmm. it. Wild, right? This is now the Brad show. This is the Brad and Lauren show. We love you guys. (laughs) It's an advertisement. (laughs) So much. Okay. I want to ask you one last question. And of course, if there's anything else you want to share, please feel free to, to do that as well. But what does rebellious reinvention mean to you? First of all, I love the term. I just love all the ways that you've that you've rebelled, reinvented your rebellious reinvention. I love the pivot queen, um, and it really has inspired me to to inspired me and empowered me to to do that. So, thank you for that. Thank you. And to me, rebellious re- reinvention is stepping outside of what people expect of you and following a course that you're being guided to follow and doing that from a place of authenticity and um, knowing is how I think a rebellious reinvention is, is driven. And for me, I actually didn't, I didn't realize same as health in the hood, how rebellious my reinvention was. When we started working together, we've been friends for years, but when we started working together, I think you were still in pivot queen mode. I was in complete not-for-profit is all Asha Walker is. I didn't know anything outside of what I wanted to share with the world. I, I knew it in my soul. Well, you hadn't yet even built your personal brand, which is- Yeah, hadn't Her Instagram handle is Everything so was, cute. It's called The Fit Farmer. So adorable. <laughs> it's actually now Asha oh, yeah. Walker Wellness. But, we, we've, we've, we've even evolved past The Fit Farmer. Perfect. We're now- Asha Walker wellness. That's sort of more all encompassing mm-hmm. for all the things that are coming under, under that umbrella. But I, I didn't realize how rebellious it was to make that shift. I knew it in my soul. I was being guided to do it for sure, but I didn't know how, I didn't know what the response would be. I didn't know that there would be a response. And so that was a big part of that journey of like that voice. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, she was so loud. Imposter syndrome and all of it. Um, but so for me, it was it was just stepping into that and um, having that knowing, and that was what really was what drove my reinvention forward to step out of just the not for profit shell, which is amazing, but it's also a crutch because I am so much more mm-hmm. than the founder and, and CEO of Health and Blood. I am that, but there is a lot more, and I have a lot more to share. Mm-hmm. And so I really thank you for helping me unpeel and unpack so much of that my and honor. start to share my voice. Yeah, my honor. Um, and it pissed some people off along the way. Great. And yeah. And you know you're like, on the you right path. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. That's when you know. That is absolutely yeah. when you yeah. know. I love that. Yeah. So that knowing is a big piece of it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Thank having you. you.